0: So today is Christ the King Sunday, and uh, as we've always, I love that Christ the King Sunday is always right before the first Sunday of Advent, um, because you get this juxtaposition of the, the absolute authority of who Jesus is, and the eminence, and the kingdom, and the kingship, and all of that, um, and then we step into the story of starting next week of, that leads us toward Bethlehem, right? It leads us toward the birth of Jesus, and this humble backwater town that hardly anyone noticed and you see that through this this contrast if you will that we serve a God who's the God of the ultimate peak right and the God who's not who's willing to shed off all of that regal authority and 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 uh, and enter our world as a humble as a baby as one of us and that he's the God of both the peak and the valley and he's he's perfectly capable to help to navigate that and to help us navigate those areas of our lives and I think the best time to look up is when, we're, when we are at our lowest, when you're at the lowest point in the, in, the, in the valley, that is clearly the best time to look up. And maybe think about Psalm 121 um, that says, I lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. Uh, my college, UNC Asheville, on their school, on our logo, it says, it says a version of that uh, scripture, which people might, their faces might melt if they realize that, that there's a Bible verse on a state school. But it is. Um, that That's where our help comes from. It's from the holy mountain where God dwells. That's where our strength comes from. And the best time to look up is when we are at our lotus, lowest, when you've hit the true bottom. Now, I know that humility is tough because the more you seek it, the less you find it. It's like trying to catch smoke in a bottle. To think you have it, is to ensure that you don't, right? It's like trying to be authentic or something. It doesn't really work that way. It reminds me of that old country song by Mac Davis that said, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're practically perfect in every way, right? Uh, When when you're as good-looking as I am, it's really hard, uh, Lord, to be humble. Um, But we're going to hear about the Apostle John today, who was in a very humble place. He's in a a, a valley place, at least from our perspective, he would be in a valley place, He's exiled on an island called Patmos, which is off the coast of Greece. Uh, and he's an older man at this point. Now, the reason he's been, uh, from, he's been exiled is that church history shows us that he is the only one who would die of natural causes. He would not be, die of a martyr's death. Uh, he would not die of a violent death. He would live to be an old man, and he would be blind, actually, at the end of his life. Uh, and in, in church, I guess you could say legend. I think there's some truth to it. Um, the, the Roman emperor at the time tried to boil John alive in oil, and he apparently was untouched. Regardless if that's true or not, they couldn't kill him. So what they do? They stick him on an island. And, uh, you know, when, when, when they can't kill you, they just try to control you, right? But you can't control God. You can't control God. God does what God wants. Some might say amen. Come on. I mean, come on. I mean God does what God wants. God's going to fulfill what God wants to do. And you can't control God. Now, they could kill the apostles, which many of them did. But they try to control you, but they can't control what God wants to do. And so in Revelation chapter 1, John is on this island. And he records an enormous prophecy that we don't have the time to go into today. But in Revelation chapter 1, he has these multiple visions of Jesus as the ultimate king that he records. And the first is uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. And everyone... Will see him. Even those who pierce him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, Amen. That means let it be so, or may it be so. I am the now. Jesus speaks. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. So while John is on this island, he is in what we would say is a valley moment. He's beat up. He's old. He probably can't see. He's He's at least, maybe he's losing his vision. He's tired. He's hungry. He is down, and yet he stays focused on the ultimate peak that he could, which is on Jesus himself, and he, and he has this peak experience, and what does he see? He sees Jesus as he really is, in many ways, as he has always been, and that he is ethereal. He is, his eyes are like fire, he would write, that his legs are like polished bronze, that the eminence and the glory emanated coming off of him is almost difficult to describe. The best he could do is say things like, he is his his eyes were like uh, emeralds or you know, it was like lightning coming off of him. He's getting as close as he can, but it's beyond English description. You know, that he has seen the rightful king, the king that has ascended. Now this this archetype, this story, this narrative of the the rightful king um, ascending into uh, their place they've always been designated is a story that we know extremely well. It's one that you could really call it the story of stories. It's the story of fall and redemption. It's the story of um, the Messiah, the the anointed one, right, coming to redeem all things. That the story in many ways is built into our DNA as people, religious or not, that we are drawn to these tales, I think we're drawn to it because deep down we know we need it. That deep down we know we need a Messiah, we need a Savior, we need an anointed king to come and rescue us. Um, and so when you, these stories draw, we're drawn to them. Now a company that has done very well uh, making money on this type of story is Disney, right? Um, and so I was interested this week. I went, What are the top-rated Disney movies on RottenTomatoes.com? Um, I, I was curious. And so, uh, yeah, this is what I do during the week. I just research these sorts of things. But um, So I want to hear... No, no, I've got the top three. Number three, top-rated score. What do you think? Oh, don't show... Don't, don't, all right, next one, don't show it. Too late, too late. You already showed it. <laughs> don't show number two or number one until I reveal it. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. It's, it's, it's my bad. All right, number three, Snow White. okay. Number three was Snow White. 97% score, Snow White. Classic. All right, don't show number two. What do you think number two is? Frozen, Lion King, Toy Story. Good guesses. Little Mermaid. All incorrect. <laughs> I didn't, I, this one surprised me. It's a really new one. Zootopia. Zootopia. Easily overlooked, a real sleeper. Really good movie. 98% score in Rotten Tomatoes. Now, hey, it's hard to get over 90% of Rotten Tomatoes, okay? So this is, this is the cream of the crop here. Zootopia is a very good movie. All right, number one, the, the only 100% score of Disney movies. Got any guesses? Cinderella. good. Huh? Sing 2. Sing 2. is good. Sing 1 is good. Little Mermaid. Frozen. Toy Story, no. Go older. Older. Bambi, Fantasia. No, all right, show it. Show it. Pinocchio. I was not lying. My nose didn't grow. Pinocchio is the only Disney movie with 100% score. Now, you could go log in today and change that if you wanted to. Make it 99. But it is. Now, Frozen clocked in at 94%. It's number 13. So we don't. We can spare ourselves hearing those songs. I'm. I'm. I'm good. I'm good on Let It Go and all that. I think I've heard it enough. My daughter has a power wheel that plays that song. Um, I'm good. Now at number 11 uh, is The Lion King. Lion King is 95% score in Rotten Tomatoes. Now we all know the Lion King. We've heard. Uh, we've heard the mo- the songs. Hakuna Matata. Just can't wait to be king. Of course, you've seen the anime, maybe you've seen the Broadway show, Uh, maybe you saw the slightly ill-conceived remake of the CGI, which, you know, real lines don't sing, real lines don't show emotion, but it was good. Now, maybe you've heard of The Lion King. Now, an important part of this movie is, that's easily overlooked, is now, you know, like in the beginning, you know that Rafiki, the uh, shaman-type baboon thing, he holds up Simba, right? Have you ever done the Simba cam in uh, football games or basketball games? I've held up my daughter before as Simba Cam. Um, now, at the end of the movie, they've had this big battle, right, with uh, Scar and, and Simba. comes back to, to, you know, be the king. And, and, and at the end of it, after the battle, Rafiki brings the story full circle. He turns and he points to Pride Rock. It looks at Simba and is sort of saying to him, this is where you need to go. The, the, old, the new era is starting. But in order for it to start, you have to get up there. And you have to claim the kingdom. You have to ascend to Pride Rock to fully demonstrate that you've conquered. And when he does, he dramatically ascends it. All the lions, you know, they roar. (laughs) uh, And uh, it's a great, you know, everyone knows that this is the ultimate victory and authority. Here's the deal, though. The whole movie, you know that Simba's the king, right? Everyone knows that he is the heir of the kingdom. Um, but it isn't until he is installed as king, he is ascending to the rock, that anyone, acknowledge, everyone acknowledged that he is the true king. And then multiple direct VHS vhs spinoffs would ensue. Uh, kids, look it up what VHS was. And Betamax, if you really want to go back. Um, in the same way, Jesus has always been the king. He's always been the king. But once he has ascended, which he has, and become the true king, and all people did roar their approval, right? This, do you know that in the Bible we actually have this recorded when Jesus, after his ascension, um, is given all glory and dominion and power and authority? It's actually recorded in Daniel chapter 7, believe it or not. To so the early church, Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament it was like a bestseller for first century uh, Jewish Christians. Not only did it mirror the first century occupation of Jerusalem by Rome, in Daniel, the Jews were occupied um, by the, in captivity by the, the Babylonians, but Daniel 7 also shows Jesus' total divinity with the term Son of Man, which John in Revelation would refer to Jesus as Son of Man uh, repeatedly. Jesus would refer to himself with that term. It was Jesus' title he would use. And so the early Christian community definitely knew Daniel 7. They definitely, when Jesus was ministering and he ascended into heaven, they definitely thought of Daniel 7. And John Wesley, I think he definitely was right. He saw this passage of Daniel as the post-ascension, post-resurrection Jesus. That as soon as the disciples with their jaws hanging open, looking up into heaven, uh, seeing Jesus float off, and the angels go, what are you doing? He's gone, he's ascended, get on with it. Um, this is what happened next. Now, Daniel was written hundreds and hundreds of years before the ascension. But we know that the hev- in heaven, heaven's outside of time. So it's an eternal now. So when Jesus ascended, you can't think of it in this linear way. I know it's confusing to us, it's hard to do. But this is what's happened. So Daniel has his vision. As my vision continued through that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. You see that same phrase in Revelation 1 we saw earlier. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people by every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Wow, great words. So, though he is king, though... Uh, the scripture repeatedly affirms that Christ is the rightful king of all creation. Here's the, the, the tricky bit. Not everybody knows that. And not everybody lives like it. Some people are in active, overt rebellion to that news, but I think the majority are in largely in ignorance. Because it seems like an intellectual stretch to affirm that and to know that there's a risen Jewish man and who is perfectly God and perfectly man, who is, who is Lord and King over all creation. But think of it this way. There are, there are other beliefs about God, really who's in charge of all of this, that I think even take more faith than that. A lot of people believe today, some younger people believe that we live in a AI-generated reality, like the Matrix. Now, if you think I have faith, you have maybe have more faith than I do if you believe that, because if computers are generating our experience that you're having right now, uh, that still it points back to a creator, something had to create that before that, it's not like it's always been that way, everything points back to a, to a creator, another theory is that, um, many, some people have, is that when you die, you simply are annihilated, that there's no God at all, that you, you were born by your parents, and when you die, you die, and it's over, now, for one, that's horribly depressing um, to think of that. But it also denies the immortality of the soul. That the Bible teaches that the soul lives forever. Um, if you read Jesus' words in Matthew 8, Matthew 22, Matthew 25, when he talks about an outer darkness, gnashing of teeth, that sort of thing, he's implying that consciousness goes on. Um, and, but people, by and large, I think by the res- result of sin we are born into this world with spiritual amnesia. We are born into this world not fully understanding the things of God, and we have to learn them. It's sort of like when you come into worship for the first time, and maybe you're not a Christian at all. You have no idea what any of this is about. You're like, what do I do with my hands? And uh, am I supposed to sing? Is God mad at me if I don't? And you know, you don't, it it takes time. It feels weird at first, that's okay. That's part of the church's job, is to help de-weird it for you. and step into, yes, that's a good word, de-weirding it. Because it's weird doesn't mean it's bad. Um, but that even though we're born with spiritual amnesia and we have to, our eyes have to be open to the things of God, the Bible does assert that there is a reality beyond our own. That there is, there is a king who reigns over all of us now that people aren't even aware of. And but Just because you don't understand it all doesn't mean it's not true. That there is a spiritual ecosystem, if you will, that is always at work in the world that uh, would blow our minds if we saw it for what it truly is. Um, The church has always had a very high Christology, which means, really, that Jesus is king. If you read passages like Colossians um, chapter one, where Paul gives these words, that for through him, God created everything. Through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church. Which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Now, that passage, when you really dig down deep, can blow your mind. Because if you have this modern, postmodern idea of who Jesus is, like a lot of people think Jesus is just like a good guy, just like a hippie, you were like Birkenstocks and you know, like a like a poncho, and you know, just kind of was chill. Um, he's just another choice on the old religious buffet line of America, and he's just like, you know, the same as everybody else. But just because it doesn't, but that's obviously it's not true. You can believe that, but it's not true. It's not who the Bible shows us who Jesus is at all. But you can think of it this way. Just because some of it is a bit overwhelming, it's actually a good thing. Saint Anselm once wrote that we should give thanks for whatever of the Christian faith we can understand with our minds which we can understand quite a bit, thankfully. But when we come to something we don't fully understand, he wrote, we should bow our heads in reverent submission. There's some things I fully don't understand, but I'm thankful that I know as much as I do by the grace of God, and the rest that I don't understand, I say, God, let your will be done. We simply don't have the option just to pick and choose what we believe and don't believe, but we're called to submit to its authority, so yes, I would tell you that Jesus is the ascended king of all creation. Even if I don't fully understand it, I can submit myself to it. Because throughout scripture, we see again and again Jesus in like John 18. Jesus is the night before his crucifixion. He's under trial with Pontius Pilate. And they have this dialogue back and forth. And one thing, Pilate is trying to figure out, are you a king or not? Because if you're really the king of the Jews, I don't think I should kill you. Um, I I should sentence you to die. I don't know if I want to do that. So he's trying to figure out, interrogating him a little bit. And Pilate says, so you're a king? And he responds, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Other translations say, yes, I was born for that purpose. Or for this I have been born. Isaiah chapter 9. The the prophet Isaiah prophesied, which we'll hear this wonderfully over the Christmas season, Advent season. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. You hear that correlation with Colossians 1 we just read. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's harmonies armies will make this happen so if you think back a lot of people would hear this thing about Jesus as king and think well the world's pretty messed up Is if he's the king then why don't I see, necessarily see evidence of his rule right? like I said last year like I've heard of the Burger King I've heard of Elvis is the king I've heard uh, the Lion King I, uh, you know, I could go on LeBron James says he's the king I could go on and on about that But where is this rule of this king? But you have to look in the right place. Um, If you look in the wrong place, you'll you'll. If you look for, if you aim for nothing, you'll always hit nothing. But if you look in the right place, you can find evidence of his rule and his reign. I mean, think back to what Jesus said in John 17. He said, "Those who belong to me will listen to my voice. Those who belong to me are under my authority." Show me what you listen to, and I'll show you who you belong to. Because we all listen to something or someone. We all obey somebody or something. Show me your primary motivations. Actually, show me what you do, and I'll, we can pro- you can probably tell pretty much what you believe. What we do, what we believe. We act on what we believe. We obey something or someone. If your life is under the kingship of Jesus... Well, your life's going to look a little, uh, quite a bit different than other people's. Your motivations are going to be different. Your choices will be different. Uh, what you do with your money and your time will be different. You're here today. You're in church. Your motivations are different. Um, it, but if you're, the kingship of your life is your money, your politics, your, uh, your opinions, or whatever, that's going to come out as well. The, uh, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, the Bible asserts that Jesus is the king. And this proclamation falls into our laps. And we have to make a decision. What will we do with that news? Is he the king of my life? Do I know him as that king? As the lion king, as I said earlier, before he could be the ultimate lion king, he had to be enthroned. He had to ascend. He had to be placed in that. And once everyone saw it, they had decisions to make. Has Christ been elevated on your pride rock, if you will? Has he taken that mantle? Has he been enthroned on the throne of your life? You know, when, when, we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we prayed earlier, let your kingdom come, that's a, that's a powerful phrase, isn't it? I know we kind of gloss over, we get used to it, don't we? We just get, we just get the meter and the beat of the prayer. (laughs) But let your, you're praying to God, let your reign and rule be over my life, right? May you have authority over my life. As it is on earth, let it be so in heaven. Well, how is it in heaven right now? All those individuals, beyond the number beyond description, are under the perfect rule and reign and authority of Jesus, walking in perfect and total bliss and peace under his rule and reign. And the, the heart and the desire of God is that all people would know his rule and his reign on the earth. So it would be as it is on the earth, as it is in heaven right now. So the church's job is to help people understand he wants to rule and reign over your life. Not to ruin your life, but to bless you Not to make you a Christian, but to make you more human than you could ever be. Do you understand? He has come not just to make you, he's come not just to make good, bad people good. He's come to make dead people come alive. We get that? And that is the reason why he is the ascended, that was one of the reasons he is the ascended king. So this news of the kingship's on our lap, what do we do with it? We receive it by faith, the Bible says. We walk in faith. The righteous will live by faith. And so I think that the invitation of God is for all people to step into that reality by faith. You just step into it, trusting in the goodness of God. You step into his kingship and authority over your life. You step into what the people in heaven know right now. See, sometimes we think, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, it's gonna get really good after I die, right? And it will be. And and I'm I'm in heaven with with him. But actually, I think God wants us to know his eternal life today. And it will carry over after death. You know, I I was a king procrastinator in high school and college. Oh, I was one of the best. (laughs) Which, that's not a great uh, thing to brag about. But I would not procrastinate about what I'm talking about. I would make that a priority Now, that Jesus wants to be the king of your life. That's why he has come. It's for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we come come into this place acknowledging that you're the king of all creation, that you've come not just to make us into good people, but alive people. You've come to break chains off our lives. You've come to help us see and to see, God, that you are reigning and ruling. And you desire more than anything for all people to know your rule over their lives. And that in the bounds of that, in that good news, there is freedom. Spiritual freedom. God, I, we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that any soul present here or at home that has never made a commitment to you, Jesus, that has never confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that you are Lord, that they would do that today. That you have come for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever might believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is what you have done, O King of kings and Lord of lords, who wears a sash dipped in blood with a name that no one knows. But you you are the lamb who has overcome the grave. And that is a gift, the gift you offer to us. Let us receive it by faith.